Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, and I'm so excited that you're joining us today. We are going to have a fascinating conversation, as usual, as we learn from people all around the world at all ages and stages of life. Stay tuned as we shift our dementia care from crisis to comfort. Here we go. What you think about Well, hi, everyone, and welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I hope you're enjoying the holiday season, and uh, hopefully you haven't gotten caught in some of these winter storms or aren't sitting at an airport waiting to try to figure out how to get home. (laughs) That would not be too fun. Though I know uh, there are thousands of you in that predicament right now. Hopefully that will resolve soon. Um, For those of you that are new to our show, Alzheimer's Speaks is about Um, sound information, not just sound bites. We like to have real conversations with real people. And so today I am thrilled to have uh, Danielle Malura with us, and she is the founder of Spark Financials. And uh, what they do is life and financial planning, specialized in in helping family caregivers manage their money, which is so important. That's probably one of the main things that I hear is how are we going to make this work? You know, how are we going to leverage things? And so as a certified financial um, planner, uh, she really specializes in comprehensive financial plan development financial education, which is so critical, and she can even research tax law and things for you. So um, I'm, <clears throat> we're going to get to uh, Danielle in just a minute, but uh, first I'd like to always do a couple of shout outs. So one, I want to, I do want to shout out to the Mark Arneson Band for letting us use their opening um, music that we use here called Clarion Call. And you can go ahead and download that on any of your your favorite music platforms that are out there. Also, our main site is alzheimerspeaks.com. The radio show is just kind of one of our our spinoff platforms for education. But if you go to alzheimerspeaks.com, you can go to our free education resource section and find a lot of other variables uh, that are free and accessible to you to tap into and learn from. <clears throat> also on the site, you'll find a new tab that I'm still developing, so it's not picture perfect yet, uh, but it's our book tab. Uh, we are finally going to launch the Betty the Bald Chicken uh, children's book, which has been a keynote of mine for, oh my gosh, years and years, and my audience members have encouraged me to get it in book form, and I'm just a little slow go, and it's been over, oh gosh, over 10 years, probably closer to 15 if I really look at it, how long, how long I've been telling that story. So please go there and, uh, and check that out. We are going to hear from the Adaptive Equipment and Caregiving Corner, and then we'll be right back with Danielle. I love the footbar walker, and let me tell you why. 
It is the option for my toolbox that I've been waiting for. Let's be honest. There are some clients who, despite our best rehab efforts, just aren't able to return to performing a sit-to-stand transfer on their own. Now I can offer my caregivers an easier, safer option that doesn't involve hoisting their loved one up from a sitting position. I don't recommend this walker for all of my clients, but I do recommend this walker for those caregivers looking for an easier, safer option with transfers. I would also encourage other therapists to add this walker to their toolbox. It's kind of like having my own mobile parallel bars for the client to pull up on. Whether it's a family caregiver at home helping a loved one with Parkinson's or dementia, CNAs in a long-term care facility assisting their patients, or therapists adapting to client and caregiver-specific needs, we now have a very safe and effective option to offer in the Footbar Walker. Check this product out at thefootbarwalker.com. That's it for today from Adaptive Equipment and Caregiving Corner. Have a great day, and don't forget, if you can't do it, adapt it. Well, we are back, and it's time to talk with Danielle, with, uh, <clears throat> who is the founder of Spark Financial. So welcome, Danielle. How are you doing today? Great. Thank you. Thank you for having me today. Well, I'm excited to have this conversation. I think, uh, you know, protecting finances and just understanding you know, all all the little nooks and crannies um, that come into play when caring for someone is just so, so important. So I know we're going to have an interesting conversation. Um, but I always like to ask all of my guests if they have been personally touched um, in their own family or circle of friends by dementia. Yeah, um, thank you for asking that. Um, I have, I'm a caregiver to a loved one who broke her hip about two years ago and has been needing 24-hour care since then. Um, we, she, inf- she doesn't live with dementia. However, I've been able to experience what it's like to care give for an older adult. Okay. Well, thank you for sharing that. I, <clears throat> I was telling you offline here, I, I kind of got thrown back into the caregiving circle, and it wasn't for a human. It was for my dog. And, um, boy, I forgot how exhausting that that job can be at times. (laughs) Um, My mom, my dad's been gone since uh, 2001. You know, he died of brain cancer. And then my mom died in 2014. You know, she lived with dementia for 30 years. And as much as you, you know and you empathize, it's different when you're in that role. And I think it's so important to be able to build up support, you know, to hold you up and kind of push you forward um, so you don't feel so alone. So one of the things that I want to ask you is, you know, when did you notice your loved one needed help? Because I think that's something that so many families struggle with. When do I step in? You know, uh, okay, I noticed this, but my other siblings or, or family members or friends might not be noticing it and everybody's coming from a different direction and nobody wants to step on toes or cause a, a fight. So how, how do you know when to, when to step up and step in? Sometimes you don't. Um, mm-hmm. For our sake, it was, we kind of expected it was going to happen soon, um, but we didn't know for sure. And then once my loved one took that fall, that was when we knew that we needed to step in and start our caregiving role. Um, some people, it's just very gradual, where it's I'm expecting it to occur sometime, but I don't know when. 
and that's how it was with us. It was we were we had a feeling it was coming. We just didn't know when to, you know, pull the reins and start caregiving. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it can it can uh, can be tricky. That's for sure. What were some of the warning signs that that you saw um, that maybe were some financial concerns with your loved one? Um, so for my loved one specifically, it was what we call um, it's it's a phrase um, my friends and I use, who's also a CFP. It's either you're contributing to helping your loved one with their finances or you're not. It's either you're pregnant or not pregnant. Um, You know, usually when people ask, you know, are you pregnant, usually there's not much of a gray area unless you just don't know whether you're pregnant or not. So it's either you're pregnant or you're not pregnant. In the case of managing someone's finances, it's either are you managing their finances or you're not managing their finances. Usually there's not a happy medium or a gray area to managing someone's finances. It's usually you just need to take the the reins and beg for forgiveness later is a better response than um, I'm just in between helping. Mm-hmm. Um, because usually in between helping is usually not as good of a a really commitment to your duty of mm-hmm. helping out. And usually there's a wish-washiness of, you know, am I really the POA or am I not a POA? Or I'm POA meaning power of attorney. Do I really have the reins in managing or am I not? So mm-hmm. for us, I would say it was the determining factor of are we starting to pay the bills? Are we starting to really contribute to maybe depositing funds into the account? If so, then yes we are taking on the power of attorney duty. And that's when it started clicking of how much control do we want to have. Mm-hmm. And and how much do you legally have too? Because sometimes people fall into those roles and it's going along smoothly. But if you hit a bump, you might not have the legal capacity if you don't have the right forms and stuff in place. I found for so many uh, families, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, when they really decide that they need to step in is when they're losing sleep or if they're starting to get a stomach ulcer, you know, um, because they're worrying so much about it that, you know, you can't, you, you can't keep hiding behind a shield of, am I going to offend somebody? Because you're going to end up getting physically sick yourself. And, and that other person, apparently you're seeing signs of vulnerability that, that need to be protected there. Do you, have you seen that with clients as well? Yeah, so usually when you're starting to question it, it's probably the time to start considering it. Because um, mm-hmm. you don't want to be losing sleep over, you know, a possible occurrence that may occur with your loved one. Mm-hmm. Of they're getting, you know, they have identity theft or fraud. Um, usually if you're as you said, having trouble sleeping or you're really pondering about what to do, it's probably the time to look into details and figure out what is legally in place to help a loved mm-hmm. one. And, and that can be really tricky. So how do you approach that conversation with somebody? Yeah, so usually the reason why many people 
don't like the idea of someone taking over their finances is losing independency and the feeling that the roles are reversed. So having that conversation of starting slow and starting to plant the seed of talking about their finances. So you could ask questions like, what bank do you use if you don't know? Or what is usually deposited into your account? Start planting little seeds, and then you can start diving into the more conversations later on unless there's an immediate need for protection. So if you have a loved one with dementia, they may, you may have to get to the point where you need that immediate protection and you don't have time to plant the seeds. And that mm-hmm. sort of goes back to what I said of you have to just sometimes take action and then just beg for forgiveness later. How do you find most families deal with it? Because, you know, I've seen it where sometimes when somebody steps up, some of the other family members might think, oh, now that person's trying to take advantage or why didn't they tell us about this? And what are your thoughts on all of that? Yeah, so communication is key in documentation and making sure that everyone in the family understands the documentation that you're bringing you know, where are the receipts, how are you documenting, whether that's an Excel spreadsheet or you're having a third-party professional take care of it for you, the documentation and the communication as well. Of, um, how do you suggest these funds being allocated? What is a good long-term solution for them? Keeping communication with your loved ones, having meetings, whether that's FaceTime or Zoom or just through phone call, constant communication or monthly meetings, um, whatever that is for your family is going to be key in that process. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, um, <clears throat> I, you know, I, I think so often families step in and help, and um, th- but they don't know necessarily all the legalities behind things, or they they might not be telling other family members just out of trying to protect their loved one's dignity. Um, so that, you know, everybody doesn't kind of, you know, come in and, and have their opinions. And that can get sometimes overwhelming for, for someone, especially when they're ill or, you know, somebody with dementia who's having cognitive issues. Um, <clears throat> sometimes smaller is better. Um, but people don't always understand that. And I think there can be so much skepticism out there in terms of what is somebody's motives in terms of doing this. So let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, not only protecting them, but protecting yourself. If you do step into that role, you had mentioned documentation is key. Is communication important with with other family members? Or uh, because not every family speaks well together, you know, and sometimes that can almost cause more problems depending on the family dynamics. So. Do you, do you have advice for people in those situations as well? Yeah, definitely. Thank you for asking. I think it's key um, for family members if, you know, maybe there's a conflict in the dynamic or there's there's either two routes. It's either you decide to, um, like, you can email them with the decisions that you've made and take action for your loved one, or you can feel safer and have a third party, either an accountant or a bookkeeper, or even a money manager handle the finances. 
at the end of the day, as a as a caregiver, you have to protect yourself. And having the third party to blame rather than blaming yourself. Because there's no one, if you're managing your loved one's finances, all you have is yourself to blame if something goes wrong, where a third party party will be able to help you. Well, and I think it's interesting, too, because a lot of times, you know, people manage somebody else's money like they'd manage their own. And that's not always the best route to do it <laughs> because, again, you have to be, you might have to be accountable for those actions and you might not be as familiar with everything and it might not be legally in your best interest um, to be maybe not as formal as, as what you are with your, you know, with your own finances um, because you, you know, with your own finances, you're not going to have anybody challenging you. But with some, you know, when you're when you're dealing with somebody else's, that is definitely, um, I think, a piece that stands out, and that a lot of people don't understand um, that that's a possibility. And I guess I've seen over my time, not just here in the space, um, you know, on Alzheimer Speaks that I've been doing since 2009, but. Prior to that, for 25 years, I worked in real estate, and I, you know, I was shocked at what money does to families sometimes, and how a family who gets along really well all of a sudden might not and can just implode. Um, have you have you had experiences like that with your clients? Yeah, I have, um, and that's why I think it's key. As you know, we need to think as even though it sounds bad and it sounds selfish, as caregivers, we need to learn to protect ourselves. Mm-hmm. And many people go into the position of, I have really good interest. I really want to help my loved one. But is that really in your loved one's best interest? And then mm-hmm. it comes back to, when I start managing the finances, can I handle it all myself? Depending on what your loved one's finances are, it may be very complex. Mm-hmm. And can you handle all that yourself while taking care of your loved one? So sometimes you have to distribute what, you know, you can't play all the roles, unfortunately. You can. You may just not do all of those well. And so mm-hmm. distributing and leaning on other people for help is key. And yeah. that's what a lot of my conversations with caregivers are is, you know, what what can you take off your shoulders and which positions do you do well? Is caregiving and having your, you know, taking to doctor's appointments and doing transportation and all those things what you do best? What out of the roles do you do best? And what can you give to your, to your loved one? At the end of the day, we want to help our loved ones. So what, what do we do well to support them? Well, you know, I think that that's a question that most families don't ask. And I, and I think it's such a critical one because sometimes people will put people in positions. They'll just be like, well, you're going to do the grocery shop and you're going to take care of the finances. You're going to do this. You're going to do that. And no one's asking, does that person want to do that? Is, is that person qualified and comfortable doing that? And those, those answers have a huge impact on how things are going to roll out. And, and what's going to transpire. And I think so often we are 
we, we get sometimes in such a panic that we just assign it's and we check it off it's covered it's covered it's covered but we're, we're not asking specific enough details you know so I mean a, a simple thing like um, finances might be really simple for you or me but it might be something really uncomfortable for someone else who has um, never really balanced the checkbook and hasn't felt the need to do that. And now all of a sudden they might have to be accountable at that type of level and, you know, doing somebody's taxes can roll into this and, you know, what are, what are implications of different tax laws and those seem to change every year to confuse us a little bit more. And, you know, somebody might be really good with their, their money and their budgeting or appear to be, but they might not have um, multiple layers of finances to deal with. And again, when you, if you've got real estate and, and you've got bonds and, you know, you've got IRAs and Social Security and veterans and, I mean, there's so many different things that can come into play. It can get complicated really, really quickly. And I know like with my folks, they had money all over the place. You know, it was like, and, and for me, I needed to <laughs> consolidate that. It's like, oh, my God, this is just way too much work trying to keep track of everything. And so we ended up having the conversation, you know, would you mind pulling it into one spot so it's manageable for me because it wasn't manageable all over the place. It was just really confusing. And it's not like they had a ton of money, but you still have to be on top of it all. And um, and it, it gets confusing when you're dealing, you know, with different people because they had different money managers all around. And it just got really complicated of who's got what. And when you went to make a, a transfer, it was, you know, what pile do you pull it out of? You know, what's going to be what makes the most sense and stuff. And um, it can get complicated really, really quickly. And uh, because people typically don't do stuff like their neighbor or their loved one did. You know, we kind of all get in our own little ruts of of how we are comfortable, you know, managing stuff. And so that's something I think that has to be taken into consideration as well with that. Do you find that sometimes people have stuff scattered all over or was that just my family? <laughs> no, that's definitely our family as well. Um, I think it also comes with, you know, being a child. And sometimes parents like to hide things because they don't they don't want their children knowing all their business. Mm-hmm. And then it comes also with the generation of the silent generation of, you know, I have something, you know, locked up or I have something hidden, and nobody nobody knows about it. Yeah. And so you start to unravel these mysteries these financial mysteries you didn't know before. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think that's what people think, don't realize when they're put into the managing finances role, they may think, oh, I'm just going to pay the bills. But mm-hmm. it's so much more than just paying bills. And I'm so glad you brought that up because I think once you start the role, you think, oh, I'm just going to just set everything on automatic payments. I'm the hero. I'm going to get all this done. And then once you start uncovering those mysteries, those loose papers, or you get something in the mail and you're like, oh, I didn't realize they had this debt. <laughs> and yep. then that's when you start to to really uncover what your true position is. 
Mm-hmm. And then you have to decide, do I want somebody else to help or can I really do this by myself? Yeah. Well, in the end of the year, sometimes those financial, you know, um, summaries come in. And like you said, you were like, oh, I had no idea there was a little tucked away over here or, you know, and if you don't know that and you're filing taxes and you're not claiming it, that can be a red flag for you and cause some hassles, you know, after the fact as well. So it, it is hard having those conversations and getting them to unfold. And I, I know with um, my folks, I'll never forget there was my my dad had no no it was my mom had an uncle and he was kind of a little miser and if you looked at him you would have just thought he was a homeless person but he traveled around and went from bank to bank around the country he had money stashed all over the place and he just lived <laughs> off his interest and no one would and i mean he would come with his duffel bag full of dirty clothes can you wash my clothes and can i stay the night and he'd hit his bank and then he'd go off to his next little city and, you know, he was just kind of a no man. And, and, and you would, like I said, you would never, ever know it at all. And I just thought, oh, my gosh, what a job whoever has to handle his estate is going to have because it was just all, literally all over the country and, um, and stuff. So it, it can be interesting. Or you have people that a lot of times, especially with our older generations, a lot of them didn't trust the banks. And that's why they split it up into so many different spots because, well, what if this goes kerplunk? I still have to have something to live off of. And I think that had something to do with people putting stuff in different different places. Or you find, oh, my gosh, why is all this money in this house? <laughs> you know, you you happen to be cleaning and you, you run across a stash you had no idea was there. Um, I, I've heard so many stories on that one where people have had it in, you know, coffee cans and cookie jars and in the freezer and um, tucked under the mattress. I mean, all the all the usual and unusual spots that you would never think you would find something that no one ever knew and you just accidentally ran across it. And... Um, you know, so being able to, to have, being able to get in the zone where you can have a comfortable conversation with your loved one, I think is so important, but it's, but it can be a really difficult thing to do as well. Um, you know, there's got to be that trust level, um, you know, between parties. And um, I know with my own folks, they, they kind of look, I have two brothers, an older one and a younger one, and they kind of looked at me as their confidant. I mean, I was their nurse, I was their attorney, I was their accountant. I mean, and they would refer to me in those names and all the different types of duties that you, that you, you know, do in caring for them. But we just had this extraordinary trust, you know, between us. And, and that made my brothers feel really uncomfortable. And yet they didn't necessarily want to share with everybody what they had but they felt comfortable that I would do the right thing that they wanted, you know, at the end, but they still wanted, they still wanted that privacy. And and that kind of caused a wedge at times between us. And and even when there was a, you know, we had an elder law attorney, you know, working with us, um, there, there was still pushback with that, that, you know, what's Lori up to. And it was like, this, this wasn't my, this wasn't necessarily my idea, you know, to do this. This was something that was pointed out that really needed to be done um, at a much in-depth, more more in-depth level 
um, than I realized when when we started with all of this. And and I think I think it can kind of blindside family members in terms of you know what has to be done or or just even pulling together the legal tools um, you know to make sure that everyone is covered and protected in terms of doing some of these things as well because there's a lot of especially now with doing stuff online there's a lot of people out there I know that don't have power of attorney but they're doing banking because they've got the codes and their parents have allowed that but you you know you've got to have that stuff in line and that's my opinion I don't know what are your thoughts on on that kind of stuff yeah so it can get quite complicated um, because as you know as we talked about uncovering these mysteries you may especially if you have more than one sibling you may realize things that you didn't know before like as you mm-hmm. talked about it could just be as simple as I you know Sibling one thought he was the power of attorney, but then it ended up being sibling two. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You know, it could be as simple as that to try to make, you know, someone may feel insecure about the role that they're, the caregiving role that they're playing because they initially thought they were playing this role, but really not. Mm -hmm. And then once you start uncovering all the paperwork and you start getting, you know, the, the first spot for us was uncovering the mail. The mail was the first spot and then realizing um, you know, uncovering bank accounts you didn't realize or names on the bank accounts you didn't realize. And then you were like, why did I not know about this before? If you wanted me to play this role, you know, why why is this person's name on the bank account I didn't realize? So it can get really uncomfortable for, you know, family members and especially siblings because if, you know, if one, as you said, one sibling knows, the passwords and then the other one doesn't it can Mm -hmm. get really complicated and and somewhat unintentionally pin the siblings against each other and then Mm -hmm. once someone starts really managing the finances you start to consider you know you know is this person really reliable I was the one who was supposed to you know be the power of attorney this was supposed to be my role are they really doing what you know, I would want them to do. Mm-hmm. So it can really get complicated depending on how things pan out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I know like with my older brother, he was he was offended that my parents picked me to kind of play that role because he was the oldest and wasn't he, you know, that was his role as the oldest. I mean, he just expected that to fall in into suit that way. Um, but I was, I was much closer with my parents than either of my brothers. I think, you know, I was just in contact with them more and, um, and maybe it's cause I'm the daughter and, you know, uh, all of those types of things, who knows what it was, but, you know, it was their choice. And I, I really tried to make sure that they were comfortable um, and that it was their choice. And even like when we met with the elder law attorney, She'd kick me out of the room and said, "Okay, now Laura, you go because I got to talk turkey about all three of your, uh, all three of you kids, you know, with your mom and dad, and we're going to be a- asking some uncomfortable questions, and and uh, you don't need to be here for that." And I said, "Okay." And my my mom and dad like, "No, no, no, we want her in here. She knows everything about us and our family, and we we want her in this room." And so. I got to experience those questions and I, I found them fascinating 
because I never would have known that some of those questions were asked about strength of marriage and addictions. And I mean, all kinds of stuff comes into play when you're looking at power of attorneys and executors of your state and, um, you know, healthcare directives, all of those types of things. And you just are, you're just kind of shocked, you know? And, um, and so that was interesting for me to, be able to see that but you know it also just reinforced to me how comfortable my folks were because the attorney really tried to talk my folks out of no she needs she does not need to be here and they were like no we want her in here and so that um i think made the made the attorney feel a little bit more comfortable and confident in in their choices and stuff as well and um, but it was very interesting to see um, how important big picture is. And sometimes we, like I said, we focus on small picture and just getting tasks assigned. So what are some of the like legal tools that people should have in order to manage somebody's finances? What do you need in place? Yeah, so you to manage someone's finances at the minimum, you'll need a power of attorney for their financials. Um, Ideally, a durable power of attorney, but at the minimum, uh, financial POA. Um, I, I like the, that you the... mentioned about the meeting, if, if you don't mind me going back. Mm-hmm. Sure. I really appreciate you talking about the meeting you had because that, that's what I advocate for a lot, is start those conversations early, which I call the estate talk. Mm-hmm. Um, designate roles so that they're prepared and they understand what that role entails early on so that once something happens to you, you're they're well-equipped for that role. Mm-hmm. Not only emotionally, but they're also financially prepared for that role. So if they need to become a caregiver or they need to work full part-time instead of full-time, that they're financially prepared for that. Mm-hmm. And I think that's also, the difficult thing right now is sometimes communication is lost because we're, we're distanced so far from each other as family members. Sometimes the communication is lost as to, you know, what will happen in the future. And having those hard conversations, even though they may not be easy, are essential to the future of caregivers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the things I wanted to ask you was, um, can you explain the difference to our audience between a a POA and a durable power um, POA? Yeah, I'm glad you asked. So um, getting a power of attorney is just saying that it allows your loved one to appoint someone to manage their financial affairs on their behalf, whereas a durable power of attorney is conditional. So it may happen when someone falls and needs or is incapacitated and needs someone to take care of the role. So it's a slightly different. Okay. So um, the other thing I think that people don't understand is that there can be more than one power of attorney or there can be successors. Can you explain how that would work? Yeah, so there can be a medical power of attorney. There could be a financial power of attorney. Depends on work. I suggest working with a an estate attorney, and and see how you would like those roles to be played, and 
what you feel comfortable. Um, you could have someone doing all those roles, you, or you could have someone doing one of those roles. Mm-hmm. And my understanding, too, is it can be a team or it can be um, anybody can have access to do do different things along the way. But sometimes it's, you know, everyone who's listed has to agree and all signatures need to be um, part. And that can get a little complicated at times. And not that I'm saying that that's not worth looking into. Everybody's situation is different. But uh, you know, I think talking with a, a, like an elder law attorney is really important to understand the structure or, you know, if something happens to that power of attorney, you know, is there somebody next in line, you know, because we don't know if we're going to get hit by a bus or have a heart attack. And and so sometimes having that lined up is, is an important thought process as well, because otherwise people are dealing with you know, either your death or incapacitation, and then on top of what you were taking care of, now they have to deal with this other person as well. So um, there's so many twists yeah, and, and turns. Yeah, if you don't, sorry to interrupt you, but if you don't feel comfortable having those conversations with your loved ones yourself, like pull your family members into that meeting with the elder law attorney. If you have everything mm-hmm. set up, have the elder law attorney discuss what these roles are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Now, do you, like with finances, do you get into talking with people about wills and trusts and the importance of that in, in healthcare directives as well? Or do you really focus specifically on financial planning itself? So part of financial planning is reviewing your state plan. And mm-hmm. so I talk a lot with clients about, like, what their wishes are for their long-term care plan. Um, what does it mean for them to have end-of-life wishes? And I really get to know my clients really well because um, we have this motto of if you – the more you get to know your clients, the better advice you'll be able to give. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's why I really take time to really get to know them and then match those wishes and their goals with what their trust looks like. So, mm-hmm. for example, if they have a son that they haven't seen, I'm just making this up, so they haven't seen in like 10 years, and that person's the financial power of attorney, they have no communication with that person, and um, they may not feel that that person is trustworthy, then I may say, um, like based on what we've talked about, do you think that this person is a you know secure person for the future to have as your financial power of attorney? Mm-hmm. And so I really match what their wishes are with what is in their documents. I also find that a lot of my clients haven't looked at their trust in 10 to 15 years. Mm-hmm. And so are your beneficiaries still alive? Or do you still want those beneficiaries? Do you still want those wishes? A lot of people don't update their documents, and so a lot of their information is not up to date. What you may have thought 10 years ago is maybe totally different from now. <laughs> oh, very true. I, I can use myself as an example. You know, when I um, I ended up getting divorced in, what was it, 2008, and so I redid my, my will and all of that stuff, and my daughter was, you know, was a young adult at that time, and I had put a couple of friends on to kind of assist her if she needed that. 
But, you know, she's in her 30s now, and she doesn't need that. And um, I should have changed that ages ago. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, the way we had it worded and stuff, it was all fine. But, you know, it's I've got grandkids now. I mean, everything has changed. And so staying on top of that stuff, I think, is just really, really important. And it's really easy to push off and go, no, I, I did that. Well, doing it once isn't enough. It really is something that should be reviewed actually on an, on an annual basis. And, uh, and anyways, that's my opinion, um, just to make sure that, that things are what you think they are and what you want them to be. And sometimes we think we've made a change when maybe we haven't made a change. You know, we've just talked about it enough in our mind that we believe we have <laughs> already taken care of it. And sometimes we haven't with that. Um, and I'm, I'm glad you mentioned about end of life too, you know, what, what are somebody's wishes and, you know, even doing prepaid burial plans and stuff can all come into, you know, financial wise moves, um, depending on a, a person's situation, um, you know, in case they would have to do a spend down or whatever, those things are, those things are in place, which I think is, is critical there. Um, Anything else as far as legal tools that we should mention that we haven't covered so far? Um, I would just say um, a lot of trust and wills are law jargon. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people don't understand what a, you know what is actually worded in their trust and will. If you're one of those people, I suggest having your attorney go over it with you and put it into common English mm-hmm. because you may be reading over your documents and thinking that this is exactly exactly what I think I want, mm-hmm. but that may not be so based on the legal jargon that they used. Yep. So having, don't just accept a copy of it and not read it over. Make mm-hmm. sure it's read over. Make sure that they put it in common English for you and walk you through the process so that you know what you're getting. Yep. And and a lot of attorneys don't do that. You know, they just review it and kind of, you know, here it is. This is what you said you wanted. And like, because I've seen that happen with people. Um, in fact, I, I had a friend where, you know, they came out, they reviewed it, but they, you know, she said, we really didn't know what we were signing. We were just told to sign here and sign there. And we did. And, you know, then they got it back in the mail and, uh, you know, she asked me to, to look at a couple of things for her, and they weren't what she thought they were at all. And um, and so that was interesting. So, yeah, it's it's important to know, and it's important also for people to understand the legalities. And I don't know if this is still in place, but I know back when I sold real estate, which, again, was a long time ago, but you could not take staples out of, like, documents you know, and just go make copies of them. It made it made the document that was the original, you know, it ixnated. And I don't know if that's still the case out there or not, but I know uh, with our closers, that was a huge, huge, nope, we can't accept this. Um, this document's been tampered with. And, um, and so, you know, asking those types of questions too are important because it's something that we think, well, you know, we just need a copy. You know, we'll just take the staples out. We'll put them back in again. Not a big deal. But it it could be a big deal. Um, do you know if that still exists out there or not? Yeah, I'm I'm not sure about that technical um, 
but I would suggest to put in documents inside your trust because that's usually the once someone finds a trust, it's usually the first thing people find, especially mm-hmm. if it's a big binder full of documents. Mm-hmm. Um, put in important documents in there, like your your funeral arrangements, um, in yep. there so that they know what you already if you already pre planned it. Um, I would also say this especially for um, for those who live with dementia or have a family history of dementia. If you've already bought long term care insurance, put it in there. Mm-hmm. Because I read a recent study that said that a lot of people who live with dementia, they don't, because they're not able to communicate with their loved ones, that they have long-term in- care insurance, the family yep. ends up paying it out of pocket because they never real never realized it. And so yep. the long-term care insurance never got used. So yep. if there's any important documents that you need to put in there, like insurance policies, prepaid funerals, Probably the trust is probably the best place to put it, if not a safe, to make mm-hmm. sure everything's together so that they understand. Even if you're not allowed, you can't physically communicate with someone, at least they can try to find it throughout the documents. Yep. I know in dealing with my folks, I did a bunch of like three ring binders. So it was like, here here was all their financial investments. This was, um, the next one was like credit cards and bank accounts you know, was in another three ring binder. So I just knew titles to things um, from homes to cars to, you know, boats, all those types of things. You just, you forget about a lot of that stuff, but how important it is or who did they use as an accountant? (laughs) You know, that might be helpful to go back to that person because they've got a base versus starting from scratch and, and things. So, yeah. And, And even a list of, you know, doctors and friends and um, all of that kind of stuff can make your life much easier as as a care partner um, when you when you have things readily available. And and I found I found with my folks once we had the conversation about it, they were actually kind of relieved that someone was going to help them and not take over. You know, I didn't make any major decisions without my folks, and there were a couple decisions that my brothers didn't like that were made, but my dad was really adamant and I wasn't going to take away his dignity because it wasn't necessarily the best possible choice. It it wasn't going to um, have looming ramifications, you know, over them, but it was just something that was really important to him um, a couple of times in terms of choosing where they were going to invest their money. And, and so, you know, we kind of worked with that. And is there a right or a wrong? I don't know. Maybe I made the wrong decision on that. My brothers would say I did, um, but they weren't there to see my dad's face and how important it was to him at the time. And uh, so it, it, there's tough decisions out there, guys, that you'll be making at times. And, you know, how do you how do you sleep with it for yourself? How do you protect, you know, them? And is it, are you protecting just, their financial well-being or, you know, does this overlap with their dignity and emotional well-being too? Because that can come into play just as easily. And sometimes sitting down and paying bills with them, even if you're doing it, but walking through the process with them, yeah, it can slow things down. It can take more of your time, but it can make them feel a lot more comfortable 
um, and also make them feel part of the process. And, you know, how do you balance that out? Again, I don't, I don't think there's a right or wrong answer. Everyone's kind of got to do that for themselves um, within their own situation. Yeah, there's ways that you can make them feel part of the process, like you can give them cash. Um, just don't, especially if you're, you have a loved one that's living with dementia, you may not want to give them too, ca- too much cash. But having like $20 that they can have and keep in their purse as they carry around so that they feel uh, independent and in charge of their money. Um, you can also do like a prepaid credit card with only a certain amount of money. So you, there's ways you can incorporate them into the process to make them feel like they're in charge of their own money and mm-hmm. in charge of their process. Um, we, my loved one still writes her own check. Um, mm-hmm. However, we are walking her through the process of doing those checks. So she's not just doing it herself. So there's ways you can do it to make them feel in charge and empowered of their own finances. Wonderful. Um, One of the things I wanted to talk about, I can't believe we're almost down to 10 minutes um, left in the hour here, (laughs) is I I wanted to talk to you about, um, you know, how – how do you recommend an action plan for managing someone's money? How do you work? How do you work with a family and how do you get to that point? Yeah. So as we talked about before, really organizing all the documents together, really deciphering, um, taking inventory of all the assets. That's the main job of the action plan is just kind of gathering everything together, understanding what the financial outlook looks like, and then um, then seeing based on what they have, do you need someone to help you or not? And then um, if you're going to do it yourself, set up auto payments. Um, I still have clients that have set up auto payments, but they have the bill sent to their home. So they're still reviewing the bill. Mm-hmm. So at least they won't miss a bill, but at least they can check for fraud. Mm-hmm. And then... And then then it comes into what is my role? And am I going to outsource some, as I said before, or am I going to be doing majority of this by myself? And what are my expectations of myself in this role? Mm -hmm. Good advice. Good advice um, for sure on that. Um, Is there anything that we haven't discussed that, that we should talk about? No, I I think we covered a lot of the bases. Um, Thank you so much for for sharing your experiences on it. I think um, having, like, between us as our caregiving roles, being able to experience it together and and share that with others, I think is really impactful in spreading awareness about this topic. Yeah, well, and, and everyone's journey is a little bit different. And the more I learn from others, um, I, you know, I think the, the better off I am. I, I think the better off others are. And I, and I think it feels good to share your experience, too. Um, you know, don't keep it hidden because you, you have a lot more nuggets than you probably realize that can help somebody on this journey. I do want to... Um, connect people to your website, which is spark-fin.com, spark, S-P-A-R-K, 
Dash-fin.com. And you are on uh, Twitter as Danielle, and that's D-A-N-I-E-L-L-E. And the last name is M-I-U-L-A. Um, and then on LinkedIn, you are Danielle Dash M-I-U-R-A. So it might be confusing to some people why one is an L on Twitter and one is an R. Do you want to, <laughs> do you want to, you want to explain that quick just because we have time there? Um, just Twitter didn't allow me to have my last name. So okay. I, I switched it to L because that's how it's pronounced. Okay, sounds sounds good. Yeah, I it wish is, there was it, some fancy story, but there's not. I know. <laughs> it, well, it is weird because so many people have so many different handles, and everyone's like, "Well, why didn't they just grab one?" And it's like, because it's just not that easy. <laughs> you know, there's there's a lot of people grabbing stuff up out there. So, um, but again, if you go to the website spark-fin.com, uh, you'll be able to connect to her, and you can find her on. Like I said, Twitter and LinkedIn as well. I want to thank you so much for your time and insights today. I think it will help a lot of people. So uh, keep up the good work. And um, if you are looking for kind of a life and financial um, care manager to kind of help you, you know, with your plan, um, you know, check her out because, you know, we, we need to get these plans firmly in place if we're going to care well and and help manage their money. And again, their circumstances might be very different from your circumstances. And so there may be things that you're not, you're not aware of um, on a lot of levels from they might be hidden to, gosh, I've just never dealt with this before. And so don't try to figure it out alone. There are experts out there that are, are more than willing to assist you. And so again, you can go, go to her website for help there. So I want to wish everybody a wonderful holiday season. And um, we've got the New Year's coming up. I can't believe, uh, I can't believe 2022 is almost over. So thanks again, Danielle, for your time today. Appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Great. And don't forget to uh, visit uh, alzheimerspeaks.com. There you can find out all different kinds of information. Again, we have lots of free resources there uh, that you can tap into. Also, we have lots of different programs and services and, and marketing and branding information. And a lot of times people ask me, you know, what got you into this? You can uh, go to our About page and you can read about the mother behind the movement because let me tell you, without my mom going through this, I, I wouldn't be in this spot at all. But I'm, I'm really grateful for the gift she gave me during her 30-year journey. So have a blessed week, everyone. We'll talk soon. Bye now.